So looking at John chapter 2, and we'll be reading from verses 1 to 11. It says, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it out. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Well, 2020 has been a wild ride, and unfortunately, it's not over yet. Uh, we're currently promised the potential prospect of a dark winter. This week saw the highest number of new COVID cases in the United States ever, uh, coupled with an increase in our uh, local community. Parts of Erie County were put into a yellow zone designation. We're told we're not allowed to have more than 10 people at Thanksgiving dinner in our own homes. Free speech and liberty have come under attack as big tech recklessly censors viewpoints that, that, that doesn't uh, toe the party line. Political polarization, social unrest that's plagued our country. People are struggling emotionally, financially, psychologically. Uh, there's one study that I saw that found that 25% of young adults have considered suicide uh, during this pandemic. Over 40% of all Americans have experienced some psychological or behavioral health issue uh, since the pandemic began. Maybe we feel like we don't have anything left to give. Maybe we feel like we're kind of running on empty. Maybe we feel like we can't take much more. And the question I'd like to consider with you today is, how do we make it through a dark winter? How do we have joy in a potential dark winter? In the passage that we're looking at today, we encounter a wedding, and in this wedding, the guests are experiencing uh, emptiness. They ran out of wine. Now, I don't think we can fully understand what a big deal this was in the ancient culture. Weddings were one of the greatest social events in the ancient world, and they were something that was very important. Weddings would last several days and were marked by celebration, by eating and drinking. Now, when we're talking about wine here, it was a little bit different than the wine that we have today. It was uh, diluted with water, water somewhere between two to ten parts water to one part wine. So it's a little bit different than we have today. But when wine is spoken of in the scriptures, and not drunkenness or abuse of wine, but when wine is often spoken of in scripture, it's often in the context of a celebration or joy. Take, for example, Psalm 104, 14 to 15. It says, You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants and for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth, and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. Proverbs 3, 9 to 10 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. So, 
We're at a wedding, and the wine has run out, which essentially means the party has stopped. One ancient writer said that there's no rejoicing save with wine. And this wasn't as simple as going to the grocery store and getting some more. This was something that they would have to prepare for potentially for months. They had to do most of this themselves. Now, the person who was responsible for providing the food and the wine for the wedding was the bridegroom. And this would have been very bad for him. Now, we lived in a, social, in a shame honor culture. And, so, and also, hospitality was incredibly important. So here in this context, the bridegroom is supposed to provide for his guests. We don't know how long uh, the guests have traveled to get to this wedding, but the, the, the bridegroom is responsible for providing for them, showing them a good time. And now he's failed to do that, and he potentially could shame himself and shame his family, that he's failed to prepare for these guests who have come. Not only that, but there's some evidence, according to D.A. Carson, there's some evidence that the bride's family could even potentially bring a lawsuit against the groom's family for this neglect of, of the party, for not providing for the guests. That's because hospitality was so important in that world. And if he was, if they were not, if he was not providing for the guests, he would have been shaming himself, shaming his family. And so for some reason, Jesus' mother gets involved. Now, probably the reason she gets involved was because this was a uh, wedding of a close friend or potentially a relative. And so Mary, Jesus' mother, comes to Jesus and she says, they have no wine. Now, we're not sure exactly why she comes to Jesus and says this. We don't know. Is she expecting Jesus to do a miracle? Is she suspecting something like that to happen? It also may be, there's some evidence in the scripture to suggest that perhaps uh, Jesus' father, Joseph, had passed away at an early, at Jesus' early age. And so perhaps Jesus had kind of started providing for the family and Mary had kind of relied on Jesus to do a lot of the things that Joseph used to do. And for whatever reason, she says to Jesus, there's no wine. In essence, can you do something about it? And after initially resisting, Jesus calls the servants to fill up these big stone vats of, uh, with water, and then again he turns the water into wine. And in so doing, he's bringing life back to the party. He's bringing joy to emptiness. And I think that this, pic this story paints a pretty uh, interesting picture about the joy that Jesus brings and what he's going to do for the people of God. So there's a few things that we learn about the joy that Jesus brings in this chapter. The first thing we learn is that Jesus brings joy to obscure and unexpected places. Jesus brings joy to obscure and unexpected places. Now we think the Son of God, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, we think if he would come to the earth and if he were going to attend a wedding, he'd probably attend it in Jerusalem, uh, maybe a king or a prince's wedding. But he doesn't do that. He attends a wedding in Cana, which was an insignificant, almost unheard of town. Very small town. We don't even know who the bride and the groom are. They're unnamed. And yet Jesus goes into that context and brings joy to that wedding. Joy often sprouts up in unexpected places. There's a county in Delaware called Newcastle County. And they've developed this tradition over the last 25 plus years about this folklore of this Christmas weed. 
And they have celebrations and parades, and probably not this year, but they usually have celebrations and parades regarding this Christmas weed. And it all started back in 1993. It was a very slow news day. And this newspaper photographer went and took a picture of this little uh, evergreen tree that had sprouted up in the pavement. And back then there was no Instagram or Facebook or anything like that. But this picture started to go a little bit viral. And people noticed this tree that was in the middle of the road. And they got kind of festive with it. They started to decorate it with uh, little ornaments and stuff. And the authorities got wind of it, and they thought it would be a hazard, so they were going to remove it. And then there was this big public outcry that the Christmas weed was going to be removed. And uh, was one reporter actually uh, wrote a poem for the Christmas weed. And then after the Christmas weed eventually died, they, they planted other Christmas weeds and they got so much joy from a weed, something that wasn't supposed to happen. And joy sometimes sprouts up in unexpected places. You know, there's things that we would think that would make us happy, that bring us joy. Things the world tells us would bring us joy. Maybe it's a career, fame, sexual freedom. Maybe it's money, possessions. And yet in Christ, joy pops up in unexpected places. Joy pops up in the ordinary things of life. Joy pops up as we're serving other people. Joy pops up even in the midst of poverty, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of loneliness. Somebody once said, I couldn't find who exactly said it, I think it's anonymous. They said, people wait all day, all week for Friday. They wait all year for summer and all life for happiness. People wait all week for Friday, all year for summer, all life for happiness. As believers, we don't have to wait until we're out of the trial. Joy can sprout, out, sprout up even in unexpected places because Jesus brings joy to obscure and unexpected places. So that's the first thing we learn about joy in this passage. The second is that Jesus brings joy at just the right time. Now, while we can have joy in the midst of trials... In the midst of hardship, we pray that it will pass. We pray that we no longer feel emptiness. We pray that the hardship would be over. And God answers those prayers, but he answers them in his timeline, not in our timeline. Mary comes to Jesus and says to him, again, there's no wine. Would you do something? Jesus says, woman. He responds to his wife as woman. Not something that a son usually does. I know if I called my mother woman, it wouldn't be a good sight. But he calls her woman, and it was, again, not expected, not something that was done in that day as it is in our, it's not in ours as well. But he's trying to create distance between himself and his mother. He's trying to communicate that he's not just Mary's son, he's also the son of God. He's not just bound to Mary's wishes to please her, but he's also bound to the wishes of his heavenly father. So he says, woman, to distance himself a little bit from his mother, to show that he's not just a son, he's the son of God. And he says, my time has not yet come. 
He's first, he says, what does this have to do with me? My time has not yet come. And the hour that Jesus is referring to as his time was the time when he would reveal to, to the world who he was. And in John, the time when he revealed fully who he was was on the cross as the suffering son of God. And so at this wedding, he's not quite ready to reveal fully who he is. He's not ready to show the whole world that he's the son of God yet. It's, his time has not yet come. And yet Mary expresses faith. And because Mary expresses faith in Jesus, Jesus chooses to answer her requests and also to paint a picture of what's coming. So he answers the request, but he does it secretly. Only a few people know about this miracle. Only a few people understand what's happening. But in this, he's, he's creating a picture of what is coming. He says, in essence, it's not time to reveal who I am, but I'm going to give you a small glimpse of my glory. God's timing is different than our timing. God's plans are different than our plans. Now, we pray that this world would change. We pray that hardships would be done away with. And we know as believers that one day that will happen. We know that for us as believers, one day God's going to wipe away every tear from our eye. There'll be no sickness, no war, no want. He'll come back and make all wrongs right. But we're not quite there yet. And in the meantime, what God does is sometimes he answers our prayers and he shows us a glimpse of his glory. He shows us a glimpse of what's coming. And sometimes we have to wait patiently for God to intervene. Sometimes the darkness does not lift. Maybe we're struggling with that in regard to what's happening in our world. We pray that things would go back to normal. And yet things keep getting worse and worse and worse. Maybe we're like a child who goes on a road trip. You know, a child that goes on a road trip, what do they say every five minutes? Are we there yet? Five minutes later, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And we keep asking God that same question. There's a story that Pastor A.B. Charles Jr. shares about a woman whose neighbor had a grape stand. And uh, she would go over to her neighbor quite often and get these grapes that, that he would grow. And one particular day, she went over there, and there was this big line of people. And she started to get a little bit annoyed because this person who was only, had the stand was giving everybody, you know, a lot of attention and, you know, kind of making small talk with each person. And she had to wait there for quite some time. Then she gets to the front of the line, and he says, oh, hold on a second, I'll be right back. And he disappears. Now she's really starting to get annoyed. Not only did she wait in line, but she thinks to herself, I'm one of his best customers. I live right next door. I come here all the time. And he gave all of these other people all this attention, gave them what they wanted right away, talking with them, small talk, and I have to sit here and wait. And he doesn't appreciate the customer that I am. So she's really starting to get frustrated. Then he comes back, and he has the most beautiful bunch of grapes she's ever seen. And he hands her one and says, oh, try this. And it was delicious. And he says, says to her, I'm sorry it took so long. I wanted to go in the back and get the best ones for you. I think sometimes God does the same thing. Sometimes we have to wait. But we have to wait for God's best. 
God has good things in store for us. He's working all things for his glory and for our good. He has good things in store for us, but sometimes we have to wait. Theologian Thomas Smale once said this, When the prayer made in faith is not answered and the healing for which many have sought does not come, we are not to look for someone to accuse of failure in faith. Rather, we are to remember that besides faith there is hope. Hope has to do with God's promises that are still future and hidden. Just as faith has to do with God's promises that are here and now. To the person who has believed for today but has not seen the answer come today, there comes the call to hope. Hope says tomorrow also is God's. Enough has happened already to assure you that the rest is on the way. God answers prayer. God will come through for us. Sometimes it requires patience. So Jesus brings joy on his timetable, not on ours. Finally, Jesus brings joy that's always increasing. Jesus instructs the servants to draw up the water, take it to the master of the feast, probably similar to a wedding planner or host today. And the host tastes the wine and then goes to the bridegroom and says to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. Everyone serves the good wine first. Isn't that how life often operates? It's like we get the good wine first. You get a new car and then time goes on and that car starts to rust. You buy a new house and things start to go, go wrong and break. We maybe had good health and then things happen and we get sick. We need surgery. We have pains. We have aches. We have good relationships. And then maybe by a uh, because of distance or conflict or eventually maybe even death, those relationships are broken. It's like we get the good things first, and then those things deteriorate. I mean, think about it this way. If you live long enough, all the things in your life will probably be taken away from you. Your possessions, perhaps your faculties, many of the relationships that we have, the loved ones that pass away. And it's like the, we get the good things early in life and then the bad wine later. I mean, life seems to operate like that. And the, this wedding host recognizes this principle. But in God's economy, it doesn't work that way. God always saves the best for last. With God, joy always increases. Now, the picture Jesus paints in this passage is quite interesting. He tells the servants to fill up these jars. And again, it says in the text that these jars are for the Jewish rites of purification. And I don't think it's insignificant that John notes that. These jars were at least partially, maybe fully empty. Which I believe, I don't know it for sure, but I believe represents the emptiness of Judaism. The emptiness of the law of people trying to live up to that standard rather than trusting in God. What Jesus does is he calls for those vats to be filled again. And from those vats he brings something that's life-giving. From those things he brings joy. Jesus came to bring life and joy. The time in the, in the scriptures when the Messiah would come, the time is described as a time of joy. And in Amos, it's described exactly as a time when wine would flow freely. Amos 9, 13 to 14 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, 
and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. They shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. When Jesus performs this miracle, he's indicating that the time of blessing has come for God's people. That he's about to do something new. He's about to bring joy to the people of God. That they could have a relationship with him. Eternal life now that continues forever. Joy that's always increasing. And there's something else that's interesting that happens in this text. Again, I don't know for sure that this is what John meant, but it's, it's interesting nevertheless. As we look at the chronology of the book of John up to this point, we see that Jesus brings, turns the water to wine on the seventh day of the chronology in the book of John. And what, the significance of that may be that as John is, is Jesus is, is getting to the seventh day, he's beginning the final work of God, that he's completing the plan that God had, that Jesus' kingdom is coming to the earth. There's also something else that's interesting. Now remember, the person responsible for providing the food and the wine at the wedding was the bridegroom. And in this passage, we see that Jesus kind of makes up for the deficiencies of the bridegroom. He had failed to prepare, failed to provide for his guests, and Jesus steps in and kind of covers for him and fills in for his deficiencies. But in many other parts of Scripture, we see, how is Jesus referred to? He's referred to as the bridegroom. He's preferred to, referred to as the bridegroom. And with Jesus, his stores never run out. His provisions never fail. His joy is always increasing. In the upper room at the Last Supper before Jesus is crucified, Jesus offers his disciples, his bride, his blood, his wine, poured out for them for everlasting Jesus offers joy that's always increasing, that never runs out. Josh and Sean McDowell, in, in their book, The Resurrection and You, say this, The world we live in now offers us a glimpse of the joys and pleasures that we'll experience when God brings the new heaven and the new earth. In his book, Heaven, Randy Alcorn explains, All our lives have been, we've been dreaming of a new earth. Whenever we see beauty in water, wind, flower, deer, man, woman, or child, we catch a glimpse of heaven. Just like the Garden of Eden, the new earth will be a place of sensory delight, breathtaking beauty, satisfying relationships, and personal joy. We will not live in a sterile environment or float among the endless clouds with nothing to do. We will live on an all-new earth, just like this one, except free from storms, earthquakes, drought, floods, or any other disasters. Things will grow easily. Weeds and thorns will not exist. Animals will not harm us, but rather look to us benevolently as their leaders and benefactors. That's the future that's coming for us. Jesus brings joy that's always increased. He saves the best for last. Jesus brings joy to obscure and unexpected places. Jesus brings joy at just the right time. Jesus brings joy that always increases. And the good news for each and every one of us is the best is yet to come for those of us who are believers, that joy is always increasing. God will not fail us. His provisions will not run out. Many years ago, there was a couple by the name of Cheryl and Fred, and they decided they were going to adopt a young girl named Addie from 
uh, Haiti. Addie's parents had passed away in a traffic accident, and so they went to Haiti to get her, and as they were leaving Haiti and uh, headed towards the plane, they remember how Addie came up and just grabbed their, uh, they grabbed their arms, holding on to them. And they say that was a pivotal moment in their life because that was the moment they felt like Addie was their daughter. And it was so significant. It had kind of the same significance of, of when they had their natural children and when they were born. That in that moment, Addie became their child. Then they went home. They lived in Arizona. And when they went home, they had this uh, dinner. They had pork chops, had some mashed potatoes, and just a bunch of food. And they ate, and Addie ate, and then Fred and Cheryl had two teenage boys, and they liked to eat a lot. And so they just took helping after helping, and Addie was just amazed. She just was watching. She'd never seen so much food on one table before in her life. But then after the food started to run out, when they kept eating, she started to little, get a little bit sad or nervous or apprehensive, weren't sure exactly what was happening. Cheryl thought that maybe it was because uh, Addie was not used to seeing this much food and she worried that she wouldn't have enough food or worried that the food wouldn't come for an extended period of time. And it turned out that was exactly the case. Eugene Peterson shares what happened next. Cheryl uh, took Addie's hand, led her to the bread drawer, pulled it out, showing her a backup of three loaves. She took her to the refrigerator, opened the door, and showed her the bottles of milk and orange juice, the fresh vegetables, jars of jelly and jam and peanut butter, a carton of eggs, and a package of bacon. She took her to the pantry with its bins of potatoes, onions, and squash, the shelves of canned goods, tomatoes, and peaches, and pickles. She opened the freezer and showed Addie three or four chickens, a few packages of fish, and two cartons of ice cream. All the time, she was reassuring Addie that there was lots of food in the house, that no matter how much Thatcher and Graham ate and how fast they ate it, there was a lot more where that came from. She would never go hungry again. Cheryl didn't just tell her that she would never go hungry again, Peterson says. She showed her what was in those drawers, behind those doors. She named the meats and vegetables, placed them in her hands, and it was enough. Food was there whether she could see it or not. Her brothers were no longer rivals at the table. She was home, and she would never go hungry again. Ladies and gentlemen, our God is enough for us. Our God has enough provisions for us. His mercies are new every morning. He gives us joy that's always increasing. He saved the best for last. He has only good things in store for his people. Psalm 30, 4-5 says this, Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Ladies and gentlemen, joy is coming, and his name is Jesus. His joy is always increasing and never ending. And I think that can help us get through a potentially dark winter. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your provision. We thank you that you're enough for us. 
We thank you that you have saved the best for last, that joy is always increasing in your economy, that we don't have to live like the world lives, wondering uh, what we can hold on to, trying to find anything to satisfy our souls. We know that there's good things in store for us. And the greatest thing is having a relationship with you. Lord, we pray that you'd bring joy to our hearts, that you'd bring joy in obscure and unexpected things, that joy would sprout out in our lives and things that maybe we don't expect, even in the midst of suffering. We pray that you would bring an alleviation to suffering in your timing, Lord. Lord, as we enter into this time of, again, of unrest, of uncertainty, Lord, we pray that you would guide us, that you would protect us, that you would be our joy, you would be our delight, and that we would trust that you do have good plans for us, that you promise you'd never leave us, you'll never forsake us, and you'll always be enough for us. In Christ's name I pray, amen.